with today's podcast is about the Stage Fort Park and the history of the Stage Fort Park. This is a very long and complex and glorious history, so we'll be doing it in two parts. The next time we talk, we'll have an expert with us to talk about the cannons that are in the fort. So today, we're just going to do a little bit of the earlier history. And with me are Bill Remsen and Bob Whitmarsh. Bob Whitmarsh and I are co-chairs of the Gloucester Historical Commission. And we'll start with Bill, who's going to give us just sort of a general description of the park to get us started. The Stage Fort Park area is one of downtown Gloucester's premier public open spaces. It, the park itself is a large, irregularly shaped site located at the northwest corner of Gloucester's Outer Harbor. It extends east, excuse me, extends west and south from the Anasquam uh, Blimland Canal. The area occupies an undulating hill that slopes gently down to Western Avenue on the north and west and towards the sea on the east and south. The middle of the area is a broad open field. It has two steep rocky promontories on the east side of the site flanked by sandy beaches and a variety of seawalls. The property is bordered by a residential neighborhood along Western Avenue, Route 127 on the north and west and by Gloucester Harbor on the east and south. The park composes two parcels, a 61-acre a parcel owned by the city of Gloucester, that is public parkland, and a privately owned lot of just over one acre adjacent to the park's southwest end that contains a restaurant. Huff Avenue, an elongated S-shaped roadway, bisects the site and roughly parallels the coastline. It begins and ends on Western Avenue, which bends around the park in an L-shaped. Paved in asphalt, Huff Avenue has asphalt curbs and an asphalt sidewalk on the water side. It's typically lined with granite boulders and regularly spaced street trees on both sides. A length of uncoursed rubble retaining walls border the east side of the roadway in the center of the, of the, uh, of the park, adjacent to the Parisi baseball field. Most of the site is maintained in grass, Immature woodland, woodlands hug the shoreline at the northern end of the park and to the west of Half Moon Beach. Dense shrubs and low trees screen the residential neighborhood on the west side of the park along Crowell, Beachmont, and Tolman Avenues. A large parking area, surfaced in gravel, is positioned at the top of the hill in the park on the west side of Huff Avenue. Num numerous informal paths, typically surfaced with gravel or packed earth, connect the various parts of the park. The most prominent features of the Stage Fort Park today are its, sequen its sequences of defensive fortifications dating to the area's first settlement and a designed landscape developed in the early 20th century. A multitude of natural, recreational, architectural, landscape, and commemorative features on the site include three beaches, an early 20th century rest house, a mid-20th century concession stand, a modest late 20th century administrative build outbuilding, a modern bandstand, a bocce court, tennis courts, two baseball fields, a basketball court, children's playground, dog park, and street trees along Huff Avenue, as, along with many markers and memorial plaques, two prominent sculptures, a seaside promenade, various styles and ages of seawalls, paved and gravel parking lots, informal pathways, and stone steps. The historic features are very well preserved and maintained, especially given the long history of the site. 
its exposed coastal location, and its intense use. Now, Marilyn, uh, do you want to tell us some more about the early history? Well, the earliest record we have of Stage Fort Park is a map that was drawn by Samuel de Champlain in 1606. He was a French explorer. He was looking for a capital for New France, and he came into Gloucester Harbor to see if this was the place. Um, but he, he left because he thought the Indians were going to have an ambush. Uh, and also, the native people here were much more into farming and fishing than in um, getting furs for the fur trade. Um, the map that he drew shows Stage Fort Park, Tablet Rock, and uh, all these wigwams. It has about 15 or 16 wigwams in it. Um, the wigwams all have kitchen gardens attached to it. Those gardens, uh, the Indians were growing corn, squash, and beans. Um, the, area, the whole area was parkland, cleared of forest, except for a few managed groves. Uh, so it was a very open country. And um, those rocks and that park are still there, as shown. It also shows the uh, stream that went down to Cressy's Beach, which is no longer evident. Um, so um, artifacts are there going back around 10,000 years that have been collected from time to time by archaeologists between 1900 and 1940. So there's plenty of evidence for native occupation of the site. Um, there are plaques there. There's a plaque on Tablet Rock, for example. Um, and it says uh, that you know, Gloucester was the uh, first fishing colony, or that Gloucester started the first fishing colony. Actually, Plymouth was there before um, Gloucester was started. The Plymouth colony had an, a seasonal fishing post there at what they called Stage Head. Um, and then in 1623, um, as you probably know, there was uh, an effort uh, mounted by Reverend John White of Dorchester, England, to send um, colonists there to start a plantation to both fish and farm uh, at Stage Fort Park. And they sent the company, the Dorchester Company people came in 1623. They're said to have landed at Half Moon Beach, and they established or attempted to establish a, a, a settlement there. Um, both uh, Plymouth and Gloucester initially occupied the Indians' wigwams that were on Fisherman's Field because they wrote home complaining about the fleas uh, and later were encouraged to build their own modified wigwams, and they modified them by putting a chimney at one end and a regular door at the other end instead of a traditional native uh, wigwam. Then in 1640, the Massachusetts Bay Colony General Court declared that it was unfitting for Englishmen to be living in wigwams and that everybody should be building proper English homes. And so there was a big uh, boost of house building in 1640. And in fact, our earliest houses date to 1640 for the, for the first period houses. Um, then um, there's another plaque on Fisherman's Field um, that uh, describes a confrontation between different interests over um, the fishing station there because 
the Dorchester company was failing, uh, and they were making plans to leave. Uh, and there was a confrontation, a three-way confrontation, uh, between um, the Dorchester Company, who were preparing to leave, uh, the Plymouth Company, which s sent somebody to protect their interests because it had been theirs originally. They sent Miles Standish, who was a very uh, militant uh, commander. Um, and there was a third party, which, was, uh, which are referred to as West Country men, men from the western part of England, who had been in Plymouth but were representing other interests, and they were coming to see if they could uh, establish a fishing station there. They had heard that uh, the Dorchester Company was going bankrupt, and they were sent by the investors in the Dorchester Company to see if they could recover their loss. Can, so, can I just jump in? Sure, yeah, please. I, it's a complex it, thing. It, it is a complex <laughs> thing. I just wanted, to, whether you or Bob could could explain to the listeners about what what was a stage and why it's called Stage Fort Park. Oh, well, the stages were, um, everybody around here knows that a stage was a fish flake yard where you would split and lay open the fish to dry in the sun. Uh, and the English, of course, used salt to preserve the fish. But the Native Americans also had stages. This, there were stages here when the English arrived because they, they smoked their fish and sun-dried it also. So that's what a stage I, is. I, I think there was also a stage over in Anasquam as well. Oh, there were stages the, the, all over. Over the place. Yeah. yeah. So um, anyway, I'm t trying to make a long story short, and believe me, it is a long story, but uh, in any event... Um, there was going to be uh, bloodshed, apparently, because this Miles Standish barricaded himself behind hogsheads of salt and threatened to open fire on the other group, um, the group uh, that was interloping the um, the ones that the West Country men, uh, who was led who were led by John Hughes, um, and that's when Roger Conant came out and said, you know. This stuff still all belongs to the Dorchester Company. Neither of your claims has any legal merit until further notice. So Governor Bradford of Plymouth recalled Miles Standish. Uh, the Hughes, uh, Captain Hughes with his West Countrymen, they left and went up to Maine and established a, another uh, 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 fishing post and fur trading post at Cushnock on the... Kennebec River in Maine, and um, the, the Dorchester Company with Conant continued their preparations to leave Cape Ann. So um, that was the real story of that confrontation. It wasn't that diplomacy averted bloodshed and that this was a great sign of the character of the colonists. It was, um, you know, a, a three-way confrontation, and um, it was decided by a legal um, consideration. So, um, in the interests of accuracy and so on, uh, then in 1626, the Dorchester Company abandoned the place. They had had three unprofitable fishing seasons, two crop failures, and insufficient salt production. Uh, Roger Conant had an Indian guide, and the Indians who were here at that time were the Pawtucket and Algonquian people related to the Penacook of New Hampshire. Uh, 
So uh, Conant and a Pawtucket led all the survivors, because they had started to die, uh, across country with their cattle to the Pawtucket village that we call Nomkiag. It was actually Nohomkiak, but we called it Nomkiag. And then the fishing post at Stagefort Park returned to its seasonal use by various entrepreneurs. Everybody was there. Uh, people, you know, do-it-yourself people, uh, people who had left uh, Plymouth because they didn't like the restrictions, um, you know, squatters. All, everybody was using Cape Ann as a fishing post. There were people at Kettle Cove. There were people at, uh, you know, the various... Um, coves around the, the Cape. So, meanwhile, um, Roger Conant had the meeting house dismantled that had been built on Fisherman's Field and carried to Nomkiag, which became Salem Village. Is this making any sense, guys? Yes, but <laughs> I do think it's important to mention that um, Gloucester will be celebrating its 400th anniversary. Truly, uh, based on it, the 1623 date. The, the yep. 1623 date. <laughs> Even uh, though they didn't stay. But there were people living here full time. There were, for yep. 400 years ago. Absolutely, it's truly. Very, very yep. exciting. Yes, it is. Yep. What I'd like to comment on is the, is the uh, importance of Thageworth Park. It's a, such a high vantage point overlooking the harbor. And uh, for anyone like uh, Champlain to come in and maybe pick up fresh water, which he did mm -hmm. uh, at Ravenswood, they had springs there. And uh, it was easy to, to get uh, onto land because they had the beaches there. And it was a south-facing harbor, which was very advantageous for anyone to operate a fishing business here or any kind of a, uh, uh, getting in and out mm -hmm. by boat. Uh, and years ago... Uh, travel was by boat mm. um, going around Cape Ann and not so much on roads. Mm -hmm. So that was uh, a very important part. And uh, the, the, the things that made this functional in those days are now a different kind of function. It's more pleasure and fun. The beaches, the uh, activity of being up with the, uh, looking over the harbor with the bandstand, having evening concerts. So this is uh, sort of a, a, a transition it was also um, uh, not only functional for the fishing industry, but also for protecting uh, uh, the, the country and, and the local area. So it's very important uh, with, with that, too. Mm -hmm. And obviously that protection went on for, for centuries, which we'll go into later, mm -hmm. with a series of forts that were built uh, on stage Fort Park. Mm -hmm. So... Um in 1628, uh, John Endicott came, and that's when we had the official founding of the Massachusetts Bay Colony. Uh, he replaced Roger Conant as governor of Salem Village, and he took responsibility for Cape Ann. Uh, and he had all of the Dorchester Company holdings at Stagehead moved to Salem Village, and he moved the capital uh, from uh, Beverly, Salem, to the other side of the river into Salem. Actually, Salem Village was in Beverly and Danvers at first and then moved to Salem. So then uh, what happened in um, 1630? <clears throat> uh, you had John Winthrop coming as governor. Uh, in 1635 uh, and 36 was the first Indian War, which was the Pequot War. And this is when the, the fort was still first built at Stage Fort Park. 
or stage, I should call it stage head because it certainly wasn't a park yet. Um, but um, the Dorchester Company men and the others at Salem were mustered by William Trask into the East Regiment, which later became the Essex Regiment. And they were led by John Endicott and John Winthrop Jr. And they fought in the Pequot War in Rhode Island and in uh, Saybrook, Connecticut. And in 1637, Endicott sent men from Salem to throw up earthworks at Stagehead. They called it the Fort at the Stage. And this was to protect Cape Ann and the fishing against possible Indian attack. And that was the very first fort that was built at Stage Point. In 1638, Endicott had Cape Ann surveyed for a plantation uh, and the surveyors met Pawtucket Indians at Wingersheek Beach, um, and uh, Endicott cited a new meeting house. He laid out lots, beginning with the neck of house lots in Riverview, and he planned to have a canal cut uh, to join Massachusetts Bay with Ipswich Bay via the Anasquam River. Uh, so... The Massachusetts Bay Colony decreed in 1639 that, quote, a fishing plantation shall be begun at Cape Ann, end of quote. But the new settlers were not fishermen. They were farmers, and they settled inland. Uh, the general court invited a very rich international fur trader and tobacco merchant by the name of Maurice Thompson, to come to Gloucester to oversee a fishing enterprise and to regulate shipping through the cut, if he would come in and make the cut and manage international trade from the port of Gloucester. There was um, talk of a lot of investment from aristocratic Englishmen, such as Robert Rich, the Earl of Warwick. Uh, and unfortunately, this was happening right at the start of the English Civil War. So suddenly... There was a complete drying up of funds. Uh, this Maurice Thompson, who had had uh, wharfs dedicated to him and warehouses built for him, ended up not coming at all. Um, the cut was not made until much uh, until later, and um, Gloucester's Harbor was not developed into an international port. So this was a real turning point. Um, then. Um, Gloucester Plantation in 1640 began to purchase its land from the Indians, including Stagehead and Fisherman's Field. And over the next 50 years, Gloucester paid the Indians in installments in the form of bushel baskets of Indian corn. In 1642, Gloucester was incorporated as a town uh, and then, as I said, immigration was uh, cut off and investment was cut off because of the English Civil War. In 1623, they got this uh, minister from Plymouth to come by the name of Richard Blinman, Blinman uh, and they offered him free land and a free hand to profit from having a ferry or a toll bridge across the Anasquam River if he would just make a cut and serve as the town's minister. So, can, can I just add something yeah. about that? The where the where the cut is today, where the the drawbridge is today, the vehicular drawbridge uh, is shown on Champlain's map as an area of 
of marshes and streams. So the Anasquam River must have, I mean, topographically, it must have continued all the way through. Uh, it just probably wasn't uh, navigable. So he, I, I, I just wonder how much he actually dug up to, interesting. to make it navigable. Yeah. It's hard to say. Hard to say, and it, but you're right. It had to have been dredged here and there. And he added some the banks to, right. to probably keep keep the banks from from slumping into the channel. Right. And the Native Americans had canals, canals and uh, causeways uh, that uh, existed. For example, they had built the causeway from East Gloucester to Rocky Neck. It was already there when the when the English and French first arrived. And they they also would have had a whole series of fish weirs and other yeah. other constructions in the in the water probably. Right. Mm-hmm. But they didn't so, have they didn't have big boats, so they didn't need a deep canal. Right. So um, I am just um, just uh, looking at the uh, at my notes here and thinking uh, it, that we we should stay focused on the park and not get into Gloucester's other history, which is also rich and interesting and exciting. Um, but uh, let me just say that uh, the next time that the park was uh, developed was in 1675, and this was during King Philip's War, and this was the Wampanoag War against the English. They called it King Philip's War because uh, Philip was uh, Metacomet, the uh, second son of uh, Massasoit. His name was Metacomet, but the English called him Philip. That was his Christian name. Uh, so it was King Philip's War, and um, more earthworks were thrown up at Stage Head uh, in fear of an Indian attack. And there's a wonderful poem. You know, I meant to bring it, and I forgot. But John Greenleaf Whittier wrote a poem in 1857, and it's called The Garrison of Cape Ann. And he describes the local boys, the local men and boys, trying to build the fort, uh, and their fear and trepidation waiting for an Indian attack that never comes, never comes. Maybe next time I'll get that <laughs> poem. It's, uh, although it suffers from, you know, modern listeners probably wouldn't like to hear a poem written in 1857, but uh, be that as it may. Um, so the Gloucester Company of the 1st Essex Regiment trained in the field at Meeting House Green, and they were the ones who were supposed to man that fort uh, in the event of an Indian attack. So then uh, it's, not, it's in 1700. Um, Gloucester had stopped paying the Indians in 1682 after King Philip's War. Of course, after King Philip's War, all Indians re- were regarded as uh, enemies uh, and it was dangerous uh, for them. Most of them left by then. Uh, but um, the general court had ordered that towns had to pay for the land that they had from the Indians. Anything that they bought directly uh, in the past was null and void, and they had to re-establish uh, their claims to the land that their towns were on. So Samuel English, who was a grandson of the Sagamore who was here at the time of contact, whose name was we call Masconomet, whose real name was Masquenominet. Um, so he was a Native American. He was a Native American. Uh-huh. He was the Sagamore that was here. 
in charge of uh, the land. His grandchildren sued Gloucester in general court, <laughs> and they won. And the court... What, what year was that? This was in 1700. The court ordered Gloucester to pay the Indians the final installment in cash. And that's how the, the town ended up paying seven pounds in cash for their, de- their quitclaim deed. And that was 10,000 acres, including Essex. That's a good price. Yeah, well, it, it's... Um, when you consider that there had been 50 years of payments in bushel baskets of corn... Uh, you you know you know it's hard to figure out, but it is a good price. <laughs> so that brings us up to the Revolutionary War, and I'll let you guys talk more about that because that's when more breastworks were put up there uh, to defend um, Gloucester Harbor during the Revolutionary War. A third fort was uh, built, uh, and I'll just quote briefly from um, our local historian uh, James Babson. Quote, in October, a company from Ipswich was ordered here to assist the townspeople in fortifying the place. Breastworks were thrown up on the eminence near the old battery, the fort, one at the stage near Freshwater Cove, one at Duncan's Point, and one on a bank near the cut. So now we're at, this is at 1784. Well, I'm just, uh, Bob, do you want to comment on that? Uh, uh, no, I'll let you do that. Well, I think the, the fort itself, uh, when I say fort, I mean the succession of forts, is an extremely important uh, cultural feature in, in Stage Fort Park, but also in Gloucester and in Cape Ann and in Massachusetts. It has such uh, significance. It, uh, if you go there, you'll see some, some, hi- some hillocks of, of earth and a few cannons of, of various vintages lying around, but it's, it's unclear to, the, the, uh, to anyone exactly what is preserved. There's never been a serious archaeological excavation in the fort, and so the, the stratigraphy, the, uh, the plans of the different eras of forts and the stratigraphies uh, are, are basically unknown at this point, and we're, we're hoping that in the future, there will be an opportunity and, and funding to allow for, for controlled professional excavations of, of the fort, limited excavations, so that we can have a much, much better idea of, of what was actually constructed at these various dates. As it is right now, we only have limited um, written descriptions, which don't include measurements or anything else like that. They, they, they're very, very brief, and so we don't really know what was there but uh, proper excavations would, would hopefully expand that. And this information could be used to, I don't want to say restore the forts, but at least to, to present them to the public in such a way that they would be more understandable, more legible. And, and, yeah. and could I just uh, ask you to clarify what stratigraphy is? Okay. Uh, when you think about the location of the forts, if, if, if you go there, you realize all the forts were probably pretty much in the same place. They were, they were built on top of each other. And whatever remained of the, the, of the first fort was built on by the second fort and built on by the third fort and the fourth fort and the fifth fort. So those are all in layers. And they're in layers. Some of the layers have probably eroded away. Some of the layers were probably removed and, and the fort configuration was changed. But there, uh, ideally, there would be some remains that would allow us to, 
to uh, with associated materials, things that the people had left behind, bottles and ceramics and other things that can be dated, uh, we would be able to say that this is the, the plan of the first fort and this is the plan of the second fort, et cetera. And so with a, a stratigraphic analysis, we'd be able to see basically the chronological sequence of developments where the forts are. Wonderful. Um, the fort was built again in um, 18, for the War of 1812. Um, and uh, there's another interesting quote from Babson where he says, the militia and the artillery company of the town were its sole means of defense, uh, having four cannon stationed at the fort commanding the entrance to the inner harbor. This force was now increased. More large guns were supplied. The old fort at the stage was repaired and barracks were built there. And two companies of state militia, one under the command of Captain Benjamin Haskell and the, under, uh, the other under that of Captain Widger of Ipswich, were raised by draft and stationed here for the protection of the place. So um, this was the War of 1812, um, which was United States against uh, England. And... Uh, the fort was um, built up again and garrisoned in order to defend the harbor. Um, there are some interesting recollections about that, uh, and uh, one of them is that the fort was completely transformed. Um, the, the person remarks that you could hardly recognize the way it was. It's so new and different. Um, and they had more guns Three, seven of ten guns sent to Gloucester to defend the harbor will be placed at the point, and three guns will be placed at Stage Fort. And this was in uh, for the Civil War in 1863. There are a series of, of wonderful glass plate negatives that uh, I believe are in the Cape Ann Museum mm -hmm. that have views of the fort in 1862 and 1863, mm -hmm. and they're... Um, they're exquisitely clear and and show. I'm looking at one right now that that has a. It looks like a, a day in the park. You've got a couple of of uh, well dressed ladies sitting down on top of the battlements and and a man quite well dressed looking with his binoculars over the over the battlements. Yeah, people dressed in those days. <laughs> <laughs> but it it uh, it didn't look like it was an emergency situation because the the Confederacy never got to Gloucester. But it, right. but it the fort looks pretty good. It looks like mm -hmm. they were able to defend themselves if necessary. It was a wonderful three masted schooner in the harbor. Yeah, and with the other forts that were located around the harbor, we, there there was a crossfire in uh, double crossfire within Gloucester Harbor to uh, to protect it. It would have been a, quite a dangerous thing for for an invader to mm -hmm. try to get get past these cannons. So Bob, apparently during the Civil War, the fort got a different name, another name. Uh, stage fort. Uh, fort Conan. Oh, Fort Conan. Yes, yes. Mm -hmm. The start of the Civil War, stage fort was. Uh, named Fort Conant officially by the Secretary of War, uh, and work on the fort was suspended over the winter of 1863 to 1864 and resumed at the beginning of the summer, which was the end of May, uh, of 1864. This is the fifth fort at Stage Point. A corporal's guard was stationed at Fort Conant in July. Major Blunt was in charge of the works. Um, Fort Conant officially chosen as a name of the fort at Stagehead, approved by Secretary of War 
Major Blunt in charge of the works. In a survey of the new port recently built here, I could not help noticing the very perceptible difference between a modern military architecture and the simple breastworks thrown up in the old times. I remember the well that the turnout of the inhabitants in 1814 with pick and shovel and wheelbarrow in the building of the old fort, garrisoned by Captain Haskell's company. All but traces of these earthworks are obliterated. Uh, Cape Ann advertiser. That was uh, uh, August, I think it says, uh, 824 and 1866. That's a reference there. Um, so they had an article in 1877 in the Cape Ann advertiser as well um, on uh, Benjamin Haskell's company during the War of 1812. <clears throat> in 1885, uh, uh, the life-saving station was built um, and uh, it was put up by the Mass Humane Society, and I guess there were lifeboat stations all around the Cape and in other parts of New England uh, to rescue ships. And, of course, the number of shipwrecks we have, uh, you can immediately see how you would have a great need for a life-saving station. I believe it was uh, at Cressy's Beach or right between... Right, be right yeah. to the uh, west of uh, Tablet Rock. Yeah. Yes. It was... Uh, yeah. Yeah. Or so, south, I guess south. I would south. say south. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. So and when I and uh, the archaeological survey that's going on there now yeah. is going to attempt to locate exactly where that was. Right. Yeah. It appears it was between Tablet Rock and Cressy's Beach. Uh huh. My theory is they used Cressy's Beach because it was easier to um, to get uh, uh, land there and get out from the mm -hmm. from the beach rather than off the rocks. Uh-huh, right. The rocks are pretty treacherous there still Well, and there, back still then, today. Cressy's Beach didn't have all those rocks all over it. It was a mm -hmm. sandy beach. Well, that <laughs> that wouldn't bother them as oh. long as they had a, a gentle slope into the water. They, the uh, Those lifeboats were extremely heavy, and so it was... Um, you wanted to be able to slide it down from the boathouse, from mm -hmm. the life-saving station, and get it into the water fairly easily mm. and, and uh, not have to climb over the rocks with it. So I agree with you, Bob. I think that would have made sense. I right. think there's probably a lot of very interesting information about that lifeboat station and how many lives they saved there or how many times they went out to help people in distress. I think there's one life-saving station still in Bayview that... Ah. that mm -hmm. uh, is, has been converted into a private house, but right. it's, it's an original style. It's, it's a lovely, lovely building. Hmm. You can see it from the water. I guess the uh, U.S. Coast Guard uh, took over that function for a time here. They did. They had a, um, a Dulliver's Neck. Mm -hmm. They had a, um, a station there, uh -huh. and that was replaced with the current uh, one at Harbor Loop. Ah, okay. And so yeah. they're still rescuing plenty of people through right. oh, yeah. storms and stuff. Yeah. And at one time, they actually had an air station on uh, Ten Pound Island. Really? Yeah. For helicopters or for small Oh, no, planes? no. It was uh, planes. Oh. Sea planes. Sea planes. Oh, planes. But wasn't planes. that used mostly to uh, capture rum runners and stuff like that? <laughs> I wouldn't know that. <laughs> I do know that they let people actually, uh, uh, civilians, uh, go on those planes mm -hmm. uh, just to have the uh, experience of it. <laughs> So, well, the next time uh, we uh, get uh, involved with the fort is in the Spanish-American War, which is in 1898 and 1899, um, and it was used for harbor defenses during that war. Um, there had been a fort 
uh, a camp, a military camp on Eastern Point called Camp Walcott. It was abandoned, and, uh, and some of the equipment and people uh, transferred to Stage 4. Um, apparently, Company K of the 1st Regiment Mass Heavy Artillery, and they, uh, they were stationed at Stage 4 Park with two guns. And they were led by F Captain Frank Howes and Major George Quinby. And they arrived uh, uh, on a passenger steamer called the City of Quincy from Boston. They built uh, tent floors with raised tents. They built a mess house and a cookhouse. But they had no barracks, only tents. There were 58 men, and a hospital steward was stationed there. And this is the sixth iteration of a fort at Stage 4 Park. At that time, it was very run down, apparently. The magazine was in ruins because it had been abandoned ever since the Civil War. Uh, so um, new armaments were added, uh, rapid-fire guns, three-inch muzzle-loading field guns, and a Civil War-era monitor Catskill with two 15-inch Dahlgren guns as naval support. And here's where we wish we had our colleague Jude Seminara here to explain to us what all that means <laughs> about the guns. Um, in any case, um, this was uh, the uh, War of 1812, uh, the location of their uh, tents and mess hall and so on is also being investigated in the current archaeological uh, survey that's taking place there. Yeah. We, we should mention that that survey is coming from the University of Massachusetts. Right. Yeah. Archaeology uh, services. Archaeologically services at, at Amherst. Right. And we don't have the results of the of that survey yet, but right. I, we, we will add that in our next uh, next broadcast. Right. So the, the fun thing about the 1800s with Stage Fort Park is that it became the site of uh, circuses and um, Buffalo Bill Cody's Wild West show and all manner of public events. Even though it was private land and had been used for uh, grazing cattle during the 1800s, it was also used for all, all manner of public ceremonies and uh, events and celebrations, Fourth of July celebrations that the whole town would turn out for. And I think Tablet Rock was dedicated in 1907 when they put the plaque on it. Um, That's correct. And so, uh, and there's some wonderful pictures of that too, which um, you'll see because we have the picture. And um, so that brings us up to the 20th century. Can, can we just say that in 1897, mm -hmm. the the the, uh, the city purchased the property from the Huff uh, family mm -hmm. for seventy-five thousand dollars? Wow! And the explicit purpose of the purchase was to create a quote public park to be known as Stage Fort Park mm -hmm. and to be preserved as a permanent memorial of the first settlement of the Massachusetts Bay Colony unquote. Mm -hmm. And there's a map from 1879 that's still in the uh, the archives of the city that is it's an extremely accurate map, and it shows already a ballpark where the current one oh. of the ballparks is, uh -huh. and, and all the other features that, that uh, you see today and that, that we've been talking about. Great. So um, do you have anything to add, Bob? Uh, no, I think yeah, this is a good point uh, all right. to... So this, Probably end this podcast. This uh, concludes part one, and we'll talk some more about uh, 20th century history of Stage Fort Park and about the 
uh, the, the ordinance uh, next yeah, time. The forts and, and the archaeology. Yeah. And the archaeology, right. Wonderful. Catch you later. Thank you.